This is the Women Encouraged Podcast, and I'm your host, Bethany Berendrecht. We are all about growing in Christ and being shaped by His Word, so it's a joy to welcome you here to these conversations about loving God, loving His Word, and growing in faithfulness to Him. Thanks for being here. Well, welcome back and welcome to the Good Theology series. I'm so glad that you joined us for this episode. Today, we're laying the groundwork for the next several episodes. We're exploring what it means to have good theology and how this impacts our everyday lives as women. Of course, if we're going to talk about good theology, we need to first have a conversation about what theology is and why it matters or should matter for us. Even if you feel fairly confident that you have a handle on this topic, I hope you'll stick around because my guest today is Mark Jones, a pastor and author who has a lot to share with us. I genuinely was blessed by his encouragement, and I know you will be too, so let's jump in right away. Welcome to you, Pastor Mark Jones. I'm so excited to have you here at Women Encouraged. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be with you. Will you introduce yourself and just give us a little snapshot of what your life is like? Um, we'd love for the listeners to get to know you a bit. Sure. Uh, I am married to Barbara, and we have four children, Katie, uh, Josh, and then twin boys, Matthew and Thomas. They are full of excitement and um, trials and tribulations and joys and everything else most parents experience. And I've been really fortunate and blessed to be able to minister at Faith Vancouver Reformed Presbyterian Church in Vancouver, of course, uh, for about 14 years now, which uh, the time has just flown by. I love uh, traveling the world and God has offered me many chances and opportunities to minister in various countries in South America, in Asia, in Africa. Uh, having been born in South Africa, I, I'm, I'm able to minister there quite a bit. And, uh, and Europe. So that's been a, a blessing. And I, I've been able to write a number of books, which have, have been made maybe the reason for, for traveling. So it's getting a little more difficult now with my children growing and getting older. I need to be home with them, uh, I think, a lot more. And so, uh, yeah, and I, I really love sports and, and devoting a lot of volunteer time to coaching local soccer teams. So that's me in a nutshell. That's neat. Actually, my husband and I were talking about this yesterday that I've been so thankful that as our kids have been getting older, that he's actually been able to be home more. I feel like even in the early years when you have a bunch of really little kids, it's actually almost easier than when they start getting older. And if dad wasn't around right now, I just don't know how we would handle life. We are kicking off our series on good theology with this conversation, and I'm just really excited to have you kind of help lay some of the groundwork of this for us. I want to jump in right away in talking with you about good theology, biblical doctrine, and why this is so important. We're going to be doing a number of episodes after this about the way that good theology impacts the way we see ourselves, our motherhood, our womanhood in the church, and a number of other subjects related to why good theology matters and how it changes us. So I just want to ask you to jump in right away and help us understand what these terms that theology and doctrine mean. I've encountered a lot of Christians, and I'm sure you do as well, who would say that theology and doctrine aren't actually very important, that you know, just believing in Jesus is enough. Can you help us understand what's wrong with that sentiment and why it is important to understand the doctrines of historic Christian faith? That's a that's really a, a crucial crucial question, and you know if you if you look at 
kind of the question from the angle of how do I get to heaven, then yeah, you know, there's some sense in that answer that believing in Jesus is enough. You know, I, I agree. We we put our faith in Christ and we get eternal life. The problem with that question is it doesn't deal with the fact that we're living in a world where there's a lot of pain, there's trials, there's sufferings, there's joys. Um, and, and how do we navigate our life from the time we believe till the time we go to be with Christ in glory? So the it's a bit reductionistic, the, the question, because it kind of makes it about, well, how do I not go to hell and go to heaven? When how do you deal each day with uh, maybe a suffering that you're going through where you have a chronic pain or, or maybe you have a, an enemy who's who's causing life to be difficult in the workplace. And and those are the right. questions, right, where your doctrine of God, for example, really becomes crucial, or your doctrine of the church. Who's going to help you through this time? So that's yeah. one of the things I, I kind of zero in on as a pastor. Okay, that's very helpful. So can you help us understand, is there a, a difference, so for the listeners who might not understand maybe the difference between the words doctrine and theology, could you explain that for us? I think, you know, theology uh, is is the study of God and doctrine is the setting forth the truth of, of, of you know, theology is, is they're very similar. I, I wouldn't want to make them overly different in what they mean. But, you know, doctrine is the setting forth of truths that we derive from the Bible, you know, such as the Trinity or who Jesus Christ is and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, we would say that is theology, but also who is God and his sovereignty and his goodness? All of those are doctrines that we believe and help us in our Christian living. Right. And then they are, they really help us to not just navigate, like you were saying, navigate life as a believer right now, but also help to arm us against lies, right? Yes, yes. And, and, you know, it, it really does make a difference whether you believe God is in control of all things or if he's some distant deity just waiting for us to make it through this life where he's hoping we do well. And, and, and that to me is, you know, a, a fun, fundamental question for every Christian to deal with is what is God doing in my life each minute, each hour, mm. each day? Yeah, that's so helpful. You've written this book, Living for God. Can you share about what this is? Because I've I've gotten to, well, I will say very honestly, skim through it really fast <laughs> before we chatted. But the parts that I've read, I've been very encouraged by and very blessed by. It's one thing that I think is very approachable for a new believer. It seems to be maybe one of your goals. You can maybe lay that out for us. But also something that seasoned believers or or lifelong believers can come back to to help strengthen their understanding of good theology of what good Christian doctrine is, and maybe even be able to communicate that to friends better. Sure, yeah. And, and for me, you know, theology is is not just about knowing, but living. And But it begins with the knowing and, and fleshes itself out in how we live. So the idea, as Paul and the other apostles, you know, they, they think that false teaching is really bad for the simple reason that False teachers lead bad lives. There's a connection, an organic connection between bad doctrine and bad living and yeah. the connection between good doctrine and good living. So for me, that was kind of crucial to, to build on that sort of Reformation, Puritan slash, you know, formed uh, all sorts of 
a good doctrine over the years, even spurred, you know, going through the, the ages, you, you see a consistent theme of how important good doctrine is for how people live their lives. It really, really does come out of your hands. <laughs> like everything you believe, it doesn't just sit in your head and do nothing. It, it does come out of our hands and our feet and the choices we make. And that's so clear from the book that I, the parts that I've read from the book that I've just very encouraged to see somebody helping connect what you have in your head with what's going to come out of your hands. Yeah. Yeah. So you have, in the beginning of your book, you give us a definition of theology and you've shared that that is study of God. And then you share the pillars of the Christian faith. I'm wondering if you would lay those out for us here, like you have in your book and explain what those are and how those impact us kind of maybe on a on a practical level. Absolutely. For for me, you know, writing this book, Living for God, I kind of, I wanted something where it was an introduction to the Christian faith, but I'd read a lot of really good books like John Stott's Basic Christianity. And, you know, his was very much focused on sort of the work uh, of Christ, which, you know, was absolutely crucial to understand. I kind of wanted to take a little bit of a different approach to, you know, what would I want the average Christian to think is really crucial to their Christianity. And that's where the Trinity uh, opens up uh, the the book, chapter one. It's Trinity-oriented and what it means to believe in the Trinity, to commune with each person, Father, Son, and Spirit. And to, to say, what practical difference does being a Trinitarian Christian make in our lives? Or is it just something we know we're supposed to believe? Or is it something we can enjoy believing? So there's that. And the Christ-focused is, for me, a, a huge aspect of you know, Christianity is simply that. It's Christ-focused. You can't be Christ-focused unless you're also uh, what I call spirit-energized. The spirit right. leads us to, to Christ and to love him and to obey God. And so that's another crucial pillar of the Christian faith. But this is where I think the most foundational in one sense pillar is, is church inhabited, how we really need our young people to to prize and love the church because that's where we're fed, nourished, cared for, instructed. That's where we worship God corporately. That's where all of these things kind of find their culmination. So the church is so crucial. And then finally, uh, heaven anticipated. It's, you know, what's the point of all this? Well, the point of all this is to get to uh, be with Christ in glory, filled with the Spirit, learning of the Trinity forever and ever, and being with God's people. So the heaven anticipated kind of brings all of these things into the the future as well, not just the present uh, of our Christian living. I love that. And that's been really, I, I really enjoyed that part of the book. One of the first articles I read from you was just recently when you wrote for Crossway. I was very struck by that article because it is really difficult to explain hell to people. And that was, it was it 10 myths about hell that yeah, you five, shared? Five myths about hell. Five myths. Okay. Yeah. No, that, that, that's right. That's the, book. that's the one. Yeah, that was very helpful, especially trying to talk to unbelieving friends and neighbors, you know, when they want to say, oh, you know, we kind of all go to the same place. Well, you know, that's obviously not true. Yeah. But yeah. there's other myths that are kind of within the church that sometimes creep into conversations where you think, how do I actually discuss that with somebody? How do I refute that? Um, 
but your book does an excellent job of kind of laying that groundwork as well. Yeah, yeah, no that that was uh, that was a, an article where you know I pulled from a section on on hell in, in the book, but also did some additions because mm. um, they they wanted a more specific focus. But it was quite something when I just started getting emails to my through my administrative assistant from pastors I'd never met, heard of anything, just thanking me. And it was just nice to to see that there are people out there who who see this as as a matter of life and death, the Christian, mm. and not just life and death, but eternal life and death. So it, it's encouraging because so many are sort of not preaching on it, not teaching on it, not writing on it because it's not a popular doctrine, but it's a necessary doctrine because uh, our Lord spoke on it so often. I can't remember who you said um, was encouraging his friend to preach on hell with tears and yeah mcchain robert mcchain yeah yeah it it is such an ugly reality that we have to deal with in our world and that so many christians kind of want to brush aside and it's not something that we can ignore i'm wondering if we can jump into a discussion about how a personal relationship with jesus christ which is kind of common evangelical speak something that we're all familiar with as a, a phrase, it doesn't stand in opposition to good relational theology. I really did love how you explain that the, a personal relationship with Jesus involves being a faithful member of his church and how the personal is relational both vertically with God and horizontally with God's people. And one of my friends, a pastor friend who had said, I really appreciated this phrase that we don't put distance between ourselves and God's people because he doesn't put distance between himself and us. And could you speak to that and why that's so important to, to grasp? Yeah, no, I, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, an evangelical talk, as you say, a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and then you sometimes find in some circles, it's almost as though that idea gets mocked or ridiculed sometimes. And yeah, I think the, the, the issue is there's nothing wrong with that language. That language is at the heart of theology. You know, even going back to the garden, a, a lot of reformed theologians spoke of how true theology is relational theology between God and his children. So it's an absolutely fundamental point to our existence as Christians that we are in relation with God, that we have friendship with God is another phrase that was used Adam in the garden and us now uh, with our father through Jesus by the spirit. So it's an, it's a totally good instinct to speak that way. I think, you know, what happens is that phrase can get divorced from, you know, the, the idea of the church. It can get divorced from the idea of the Trinity, maybe where it's just sort of Jesus and, and that's it. And so as long as we can bring that good phrase and idea back into the, the Trinity oriented, as I say, um, spirit energized church inhabited way of looking at um, a relationship with Jesus Christ, I think it's, it's good and we need to maintain that. So that's, that was all, always my concern was divorcing that one idea from the other crucial aspects of the Christian faith. And it does really change the way we interact in churches too, doesn't it? When we only view our relationship with Jesus as a personal relationship that is divorced from all those other things that it changes how we even attend church or what we do within the walls of the church and in our homes to extend Christ to our neighbors. I've seen this temptation in my own life to think about personal faith being just kind of 
close to me and not anything that moves outward. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's also interesting? You you, you struck a, a chord with me there. When when people speak of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it's it's a it's a personal relationship with Christ and his people. You know, right. our relationship is never a sort of just me as an island but it's it's us as a people and it's also um needs to be balanced by the fact that in a sense we fall flat on our faces before the lord of glory it's not just a sort of he's my friend but he is also my lord and and uh, mm. we can capture that aspect as well i think you know that's what's important yeah that's really beautifully put thank you so you have traveled extensively and lived in several different places in the world. How have you seen this relational theology and doctrine expressed differently and faithfully other places? Yeah, that's a that's a great question because I think, you know, as a, as North Americans and and I think for some Americans it's their their Christianity can be at times insular in the sense of it's what they understand of their local church and even what social media presents to them as Christianity. But if, if you travel around the world, you start to see certain emphases very strongly in other places that maybe aren't so. So, for example, when I was in China, they are they just love to pray and pray and pray. And I mean, it's almost overwhelming the amount of prayer that uh, they engage in and, and you see their relational Christianity is very focused on the prayer aspect wow. and, and, and other um, places such as Korea. I've been to South Korea too. And, and you see that, but then in um, Brazil, for example, I really find that they're certainly the circles I was in, they're very strong in their, their corporate worship and singing. And you see, like the men in Brazil, for example, and the ladies both sing, whereas found in some North American churches, the ladies are are singing, but the guys are maybe a little bit embarrassed by it. So you see yeah. kind of powerful voices, male and female together, praising God in, in a country like Brazil. And that to me was was so nice to see. I felt so alive for Christ in that context. So mm. then in Africa, you you get you know, a whole host of various um, types of things that you, you, you see. I think one of the things is um, certainly among, you know, Africans who come from a, a less wealthy background is is just a, a type of joy and simplicity in their Christian living where they really trust God a lot. And you go, wow, you know, you'd think it would be the wealthy people who trust God because he's given them so much. But I find that I actually see more faith and trust in God from those who have less wealth and they speak about it so much more. So I, I love how in the world you do see these emphases that are all part of the Christian life. It's not like any of these are wrong, but sometimes in places, certain emphases get expressed better, I would say. And that's a real joy of traveling the world is seeing these things. That's really beautiful. And I'm really excited to hear more about that because I have to know, do you find as you went from place to place that the way that they expressed their relational Christianity changed you at all? Yes, uh, I, I, I got on the plane the last two times I've come back from Brazil and I thought, man, I feel like 
Uh, and you know that phrase, on fire for the Lord? How yes. <laughs> it's like evangelical speak, right? And yet, right. and then you kind of, you know, being in a Reformed Presbyterian church, I'm not allowed to say that, right? Because it's just, uh, so we're Presbyterian and everything's decently in order. But man, did I feel on fire for the Lord. Um, just really uh, felt a, a strength and power in my in my faith for a, a, a few weeks after even a trip to a place like Brazil. Then, you know, you, you have different, when you go to China, you go, wow, you know, I really need to focus a bit more on devoting myself to prayer because mm. it struck me. So I think that's one of the great things about traveling the world is you see the strengths of different cultures and peoples and, and, it, and it can help you a lot. Whereas if you just stay in one place, it, 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 it's not your fault. You know, not everyone gets to travel, but you, you can sometimes miss things, um, which in heaven, we won't have to worry about that. But on earth, that's one of the, the problems of, you know, living in this world right now. Yeah. So in terms of North American Christianity, what do you see being our strengths that we have to encourage the world with? I think we have a definite strength in terms of theological education. There's so many good seminaries and Bible colleges in America alone that really dwarf the the rest of the world in terms of how many great um, books are coming out of America, thinkers, so much in terms of education that I would say this is what the world needs and and I really love it when I see certain theologians traveling the world and giving up their time and energy to instructing in different places you know I've I've seen DA Carson down in South Africa the same college I was at teaching and uh, you you just start to see how some theologians have given their time and efforts to uh, disseminating good theology so America has a, a big role to place and 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 in fact is in terms of being good truth out there. It's very encouraging to me to hear. I think it's tempting to look around North America and feel like we're really dropping the ball. And um, I'm very grateful to hear your perspective on this. Thank you. So in terms of our own current cultural climate, as we're recording this, we are still in the thick of things with COVID restrictions. Um, Some churches are still not able to open. It's a varied situation across Canadian provinces, the United States, and the world, honestly. In terms of living out relational Christianity and not being able to maybe step into our churches or step into hospitality situations and opportunities to evangelize, what are some ways that we can live out relational Christianity well during this time? Yeah, that's been a major focus for me as a pastor to navigate this. Now, we are actually meeting now with groups of under 50 in our church, socially distanced, um, and you know all the safety measures that our government requires of us. But there's still a lot of people who aren't able to get in. And for me, you know, phone calls have been one of the main areas of just uh, being able to speak to people, pray with them on the phone. Uh, and in a way, it's been a new you know, you do phone people, but when you give yourself to deliberate phone calls to check in, it's amazing how it it always seems to brighten someone's day to just get a phone call from someone. So I would say not only should you be praying for people, but, you know, just actually take the time where we give up of our own time and phone someone. Maybe uh, imagine a young person who's 17 or 18 phoning an elderly person in the church just to say hi. Like how 
amazing is that? And yet how simple, right? You know, the yeah. things, things that can really bless people don't need to be someone traveling to a faraway land to be a missionary. Maybe just pick up the phone and say, hey, I was just thinking about you and wanted to know if there's anything you needed. Or that would be to me as a pastor, a, a very simple solution to relational Christianity among God's people. I love that. That is actually very convicting. Like I need to get on the phone more often, I think. Um, that I'm going to definitely take that to heart. Thank you. I want to ask you this question that I ask every guest before we close out, and that is, what has the Lord been using in your life lately to encourage you in walking faithfully with Him? Uh, I think the Lord's been using various trials, uh, to be honest. It's mm. like the and, and what's interesting is Christianity and sanctification isn't a a kind of consistent progression. It's it happens in spurts. I feel like you can go months and and life's just normal. I mean, you are feeding on God's word, and and I'm not saying it's it's just nothing's happening. But then God just does things where several things happen at once, and you're kind of brought to your knees to just say, okay, wow. And the Psalms of David, instead of reading about David, you kind of feel like you enter into David's life. Or instead of reading just about what Christ went through, you you kind of say, yeah, I, I'm starting to understand just a tiny bit now of what it was like for him. So I think those sort of experiences of trials are, are so crucial. And that leads you then to the Psalms and other parts of God's word to come alive. I think that's the word I would say is... You read God's word, but sometimes God's word takes on a vividness, a, a realness to you because of your situation. And then, you know, there's we, we, there's books that, that people can read and enjoy, but nothing is quite like God working very mysteriously and through trials or sometimes through temptations in your life to, to get you to say, wow, I need God in a way that I haven't been praying I need God for the last few months even. So um, that's not maybe the, the typical answer, but it is definitely how I feel. Well, I'm actually very encouraged to hear that. I think that trials have actually taught me my belonging to Christ more than anything else has. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, I found that I've had more answers to prayer as a result of these trials than I ever have from not having them. So God's answered yes. a lot of my prayers lately. So that's been good. That's that's really wonderful to hear and very encouraging. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I've been very grateful for this conversation, Mark. Thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your experience and God's truth with us. I'm very grateful and very excited to share this with our listeners. Oh, well, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you, and I, I genuinely hope they are uh, helped, and I hope that they uh, enjoy the, the Christian life uh, as much as and more than, than I do. Where can we find you online? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep a, a lower profile. I do have books on online, uh, various publishers, um, but faithvan.com is my church where I minister currently, and uh, I'm on Facebook, but trying to limit Facebook activity as much as possible for the sake of my soul and probably the sake of others. <laughs> That's understandable completely. Yeah, we'll point people to your website, your church's website. Maybe they can catch a sermon or two there. Thank you again so much for joining me. Yeah, no problem. 
Friend, I'm so glad you were here today. If you haven't already connected with us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at Women Encouraged and also on Facebook at the Women Encouraged page. You can send us an email there or at info at womenencouraged.ca. And as always, we are grateful for your support through Patreon, which you can find linked on our social media and on our website, women-encouraged.com. Next week, we'll be talking with Ruth Jo Simons about how our theology shapes the way we love our neighbors. And as we close this conversation and get ready to share the rest of this series, I want to leave you with this quote from Mark's book, Living for God. He says, Christianity, in its most basic expression, begins with God because there is nowhere else to begin. Yet the Christian faith not only begins with God, but also leads to Him and continues in that continual searching out of His majestic glory. And whatever truth we acknowledge of God's majestic attributes, we acknowledge of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So friends, on that note, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thanks again for being here.